Well, we had a wonderful time at student camp. And it is so encouraging to see all the leaders who invested their time, their energy, their life into the students who went. And uh, we saw students experience um, a life change. We saw those who were far from God be- become followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw um, those who were um, kind of stagnant in their relationship with God come to know God closer uh, in a more closely Uh, 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 aligned way. We were uh, just thrilled to spend time with these students. Got to see nine of them baptized, uh, and that is exceptional. And there are more of those students who became followers of Jesus that will be baptized at beach baptism. Now, beach baptism, transition, beach baptism is August the 13th, and we will be meeting at 4 p.m. At the first hour, I was just going and I was like, Where is the, what's the name of the place? I know it's in Sandbridge, a little something, something, something. We've been doing it for 15 years. I can't ever remember the name of the place. So they put up a slide for me so I'd remember. Uh, we'll be meeting at 4 p.m. Shelter 1 and 2 at Little Island Park. And uh, we'll gather there. And then we'll all go down to the beach. Uh, hundreds of us go down to the beach. And we will baptize. It's a wonderful. It's, if you've not experienced it, you want to experience it. You want to set time aside Uh, for that day. It's going to be an awesome day. Uh, And many of the students uh, who uh, have come to faith in Christ will be baptized then. Also, many of our children will be uh, baptized, children uh, as well as adults. Every year at Beach Baptism, we have the privilege of baptizing some senior adults. And uh, that leads us into uh, how I want us to pray this week. Now, as a church, we pray together. And we set aside one minute at one o'clock, and we pray for one thing over the next several weeks. This is the prayer. I want you to join me, invite you to join me in praying. Lord, draw adults, kids, and their families to yourself through kids camp and senior adult camp. Now, kids camp is uh, uh, happening the week before beach baptism. Uh, Kids camp will be uh, August 7th to the 11th at uh, uh, Camp Willow Run. It's going to be one of the largest groups we've ever taken to children's camp. It is going to be so exciting. I cannot tell you how exciting it's going to be uh, to see what God does at children's camp. And if you have children or grandchildren or neighbors or friends that uh, you think, and they're in the third through the sixth grade, you think, man, this would be a great opportunity for them. Uh, you can talk to them. You can register them, firstnorfolk.org, Kids Camp. Uh, and uh, we would love to keep adding to that number. Over 130 uh, uh, kids in grades three through the sixth are, have already registered. And that's amazing. All right. So that's Kids Camp. Uh, then we come August the 13th. And August uh, the 13th, Dr. Ken Hemphill, previous pastor here, um, the uh, uh, maybe the second longest termed pastor at First Norfolk. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just playing. Right? Ken and Paula will be here with us, and he will be preaching on August 13th. Uh, and then we'll go to uh, kids camp. And then August 14th through the uh, 16th, uh, senior adult camp will happen. And Dr. Hemphill is going to be leading senior adult camp. It's going to be a wonderful time. And if you're a senior adult, if you're in that category, uh, go ahead and own it and embrace it. 
and you can go online, firstnorwood.org slash senior adults. You can register for senior adult camp. If you uh, would rather have a paper trail that you can hold in your hand, you can go to the second floor mezzanine. You go up these stairs right here in the Grand Lobby. On the second floor, uh, there's a table there for senior adult camp. You can sign up and register there as well. Wonderful, wonderful things happening. And through both of those camps, we believe God's going to draw to himself uh, individuals who um, need to follow him in believer's baptism. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. Um, I'm almost through with my announcements. Not hardly, almost through. Um, this is the first time I've had the privilege of being back in, on, on the platform in the, in the, uh, on a weekend uh, since uh, the celebration uh, that y'all gave for uh, our 20th anniversary. And uh, I just, uh, I said some words um, on that day. I, I, I don't remember really everything that I said, uh, but I just want you to know uh, how thankful Edie and I are and our family is uh, to spend two decades with the same family called First Norfolk. It is a privilege. It is a joy. You are a blessing to us. And I am thankful for your gifts, and I'm thankful for your generosity, and both of those abound and astound. But as I've been reflecting on what would I say about a church um, that would mean the most to me, you know, that from my heart, the thing that, that bubbles up in my heart. I want you all to look this way. The most important thing that I could say other than uh, this is a family in which I share life and, and learn more about Jesus every week. Um, I am thankful that you are a church, that my family, my daughters have grown up in and with. And my girls don't hate church. And that's in large part because of you. I, I'm a preacher's kid. And it's hard to be a preacher's kid. And through the ups and downs of relationship, ins and outs of life, there are so many preacher's kids who, in all honesty, can't stand being around church people. But that's not the case with you and with this church. I'm thankful that you're a people who have loved my family well. And, um, and so I just want to thank you for that more than anything else. Uh, the investment that you've made in my children, that today they still love Jesus and still love the church means the world to me and to Edie. So thank you, church family, for 20 years of joy. Bless you all. All right, enough of that. I, if you don't know me, if you know me, you know I can't stand that kind of stuff. Uh, not, I love to thank you all. I don't like receiving stuff. It, it, I, there's some dysfunction there. I know I need counseling. Um, I've gotten it before. It didn't stick. Uh, I need to go back. Um, 
But uh, I don't like receiving, so uh, we're moving on quickly. Uh, we celebrated for 30 seconds. Now let's move on. Uh, turn in your copy of Scripture, 2 Timothy. We're going to look at verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. We're starting a new series. Now, uh, normally what I like to do is preach through at least a book of Scripture during the year. We're preaching through the Gospel of Mark. We're studying the Gospel of Mark together, and we've been doing it, and we'll continue. We'll pick back up in September. The Gospel of Mark will go to the, almost to the end of the year, and we will have gone through, uh, including Wednesday nights, we will have gone through every, or midweek services, we will have gone through every verse in Mark's Gospel. I think that's good. I think that's a right way to do it. Already planning for 2024, what we're going to do now, uh, then. But uh, we're taking a break, and the reason we're taking a break is because I believe that so much of what the generation that has come and is coming is facing demands that we understand that this book, the Bible, is more than just a good book. That this book, the Bible, is more than just uh, a lot of people putting a lot of ideas on pieces of paper, and now we have it. This book is different and better than the Koran. This book is different and better than TikTok. This book is different and better than training manuals, coaching courses, self-help studies. This book at core is different and better. And the reason I want us to take the next several weeks, I'm going to, this week we're going to look at the classic passage, 2 Timothy 3. Next week we're going to look at how the Bible is absolute truth. Uh, On the 13th, Dr. Hemphill will preach. He'll stand here. Don't worry, we're going to get the pulpit that he likes and we'll put it out here for him. Uh, And... uh, uh, And then the 20th, I'll come back and we'll look, uh, and then the next several weeks, we'll look at not only the nature of Scripture, but then what does it do? How does it affect us uh, when we follow it? Uh, So uh, that'll lead us into September. Um, So to begin, let, let me ask a question. How many inches are in a foot. Okay. How many feet are in a yard? How many inches are in a yard? How many millimeters? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Some of y'all might know. Some of y'all might know, and I don't want to be shamed by y'all. All right, so uh, we, we have um, 12 inches in a foot, three feet in a yard, 36 inches in a yard. Here's the question. How do you know? How do you know there are 12 inches in a foot? Because the ruler tells me so, right? There it is. It's a standard. Somewhere along the line, someone decided that it is a better thing to have a standard measure 
that everyone can agree upon that's going to be the same whether you're in South Alabama or uh, California, there is a measurement that there are 12 inches to a foot, and every inch is the same length, and every foot is the same length, and, and that became important. They determined, and, and uh, 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 you know, have you ever made anything, and um, uh, you, you make it, and say you're making a box. I remember I was in shop class. I don't know if they still do shop class. Uh, I was in shop class in the eighth grade, and I was supposed to make a box, and I made the box, but it, the, it didn't come out right. And I had that and that, but it didn't fit. And so I asked my shop te- teacher what I did wrong, and he said, well, this board, this side of the box, is longer than this side of the box. And this end of the box is taller than this end of the box. And he said, did you just make it up as you went along? Did you not use the standard, the rule, the ruler? We have a lot of people today that are making life up as they go along. And they wonder why their life is out of whack. It's just not right. And that's for believers and unbelievers. They wonder why it is that everything's cockeyed. Why is it not working out the way it needs to work out? Why, 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 is, why are my relationships so bad? Or why are my, my emotions so terrible? Why, why is it not working? And And the question that we need to ask and answer, and hopefully we will today at least begin the journey, is, well, are you following the rule, the standard? Paul was writing, this is 2 Timothy, Paul was writing to to Timothy, and Timothy was pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus, as you might imagine, Ephesus had all kinds of different ideas. All kinds of different beliefs, a whole set of different kinds of of uh, 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 objects of worship. Uh, They had the Greek gods. They had the Roman gods. They had different philosophies that had uh, erupted on the scene, especially in Ephesus. They had different ways of living, depending on which guild or which uh, uh, god you you, you followed, and, and there were all these competing ideas and innovative ideas, and, 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 and there were people bringing it into the church, these different ideas, and saying, this, we need to add this to this and this to this. It was like TikTok. Hey, I, I don't know if you know, if you don't know what TikTok is, just ignore what I'm about to say. TikTok is a social media platform, and I was talking to someone uh, this past week, and and they thought, hey, it's a good idea for me to take borax and pour it in my lemonade and drink it. Because people on TikTok told me so. And people on TikTok said, you drink borax, it's going to make everything better. You might lose weight, but not in the way you intend. In my opinion. But people on TikTok, man, they, they're, there's this wave of TikToky stuff. 
And they're like, yes, you need to do this. Yes, you need to do this. Yes, you need to do this. And as this person was explaining it to me, and I was objecting greatly, uh, the, the person said, well, here, here's, here's some, some people who said this is a good thing. And some people said, and there were some people who said this is a good thing, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. And then there were some people who said, y'all, this is a bad thing. People on TikTok, people got on TikTok and said, don't do that. But interestingly enough, the person I was talking to, they came on the person that was saying bad things about drinking borax, they just swept right past that because they didn't want to hear that. They were, they wanted to hear what confirmed the way they were already deciding to go. You know, that's, that's the way so many of us do life. We listen to voices that confirm what we already want to do so that really the standard for our living is what we feel or what others say and just like it was in the first century. We live in a world today where things are not built on a common standard, but an individual standard. Okay? Now, next week we're going to look at how the Bible is absolute truth. Today we're going to touch on it a little bit. But can I, can I tell you what the Bible says about itself? And what we believe is a church, the core value of our church? is that we treasure God's word as the rule, the standard for the way we live and what we believe. Amen. We have several core values as a church. You can see them on the, uh, on the wall out there in the grand lobby. But, but one of the core values is that we treasure God's word as the rule, the standard, the common standard built upon the authority of God himself. This is the singular, the absolute, the, the, uh, the ultimate, the penultimate, the, the absolute standard for how we live and for what we believe. And the reason we treasure God's word as the rule for how we live and what we believe as a church is because of 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17, but especially verses 16 and 17. All right, so let, let's read that. Oh, by the way, over the next several weeks, I'm going to be doing, I, it's going to be different. Okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to convince people a lot. I'm just trying to teach at this point. So I'll still get a little preachy. Can't help it. Uh, but this, and I don't want it to be dry, but I, and it may seem simplistic to some, and it will to some because you've studied this already. But guys, we got to do a better job of helping people understand what this book is about. And so we're going we're gonna to take it piece by piece, step by step. We're going to try to be as, as condensed in simplicity and profundity as we possibly can. And that's the last time I'll use the word profundity. All right, 2 Timothy 3. Let's begin in verse 14. Paul says, but you, talking to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise toward salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, the classic text, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That term inspiration is the Greek term theonoustos. It's a made-up word. Paul made it up. Right on the, no, it's, you don't find it anywhere. It's a combination of two words, theos, God, and noustos, wind, breath, spirit. Okay? We'll come back to that. So, uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the Son of God, the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, as we look at this passage, I want us to kind of understand why do we see Genesis to Revelation within the covers of this book or on your digital app, why do we see this as something more than um, the Koran? Something more than um, Homer's Iliad or Odyssey? Something more than uh, the Masonic Lodge book? I don't know what that is. Um, Something more than uh, how to win friends and influence enemies. Something more than the Chronicles of Narnia. Something more than uh, the uh, Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Why, why do we see this as something more than, better than? Well, it's because, first of all, and, and it, this won't come up on the screen, but, but the first thing that we see in verses 14 and 15 is that Paul says, Timothy, you heard the scriptures, the holy scriptures. That's Old Testament in Timothy's time. It's all of it to us today. So you, you have the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, today, and it is able to make you wise towards salvation. I would contend uh, a couple of things. We'll see this in a couple of weeks. But I would contend, first of all, that the, the Bible gives us instruction and teaching and direction on how to enter into God's family, salvation. How to be forgiven our sin and enter into a relationship with God. In fact, I would contend that unless the Bible teaches this is the way you enter into a relationship with God, you have not entered into a relationship with God. We come to God based upon his terms, not based upon our terms. To enter into God's family, we have to do it the way God says to do it, not the way we want or the way we want him to adjust to fit what we do. You know, some of us are, are still in the teen years when it comes to our journey in relationship with God. What I mean by that, teen years, or maybe toddler. Toddler's better. Toddler years, I want my cookie, and I want my cookie right now, and I want the world to stop until I get my cookie. And if y'all don't give me my cookie, then I'm going to throw a fit. And y'all are wrong and I am right. Y'all need to stop the car. You need to stop the presses. You need to stop. Everybody else needs to stop until I get my cookie. And many of us treat God like that. What we do is we say, God, you need to change the way you have planned it, the way you've purposed it, the way you have designed it. You, you need to change everything that you have created in order to fit my personal desires. And then if you just adjust everything that you've decided to fit what I want, then, then we'll be friends. That's the way culture treats God right now. And that's the way some of y'all are treating God right now. No good. So what, 
what we see is the only way for us to enter into God's family, it's not by being good, it's not by thinking good thoughts, it's not by coming to church and sitting in a pew. The only way to come into a relationship with God is the way the Bible says. And the Bible says that the way we enter into a relationship with God is by understanding that God sent Jesus, who is God, to become flesh and bone, to dwell among us, to live a perfect life so that he might go to a cross and die the death that you and I deserve because we have sinned. Our sin has separated us from God, and everyone here has sinned against God. Our sin has separated us from God, and there is no fix for that sin. I can't make it better. You can't make it better. I can't be religious enough. I can't be, uh, I can't karma my way out of sin's penalty. I'm stuck. And yet God, because he loves us, sent Jesus to pay the penalty that I deserve to pay, which is death on the cross. And by his death, Jesus offers to us a forgiveness that makes us fit for God's family. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, he was raised from the dead, and his resurrection promises to us an opportunity for a new life with a new heart, a, a, a new creation. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and that's That's what God has done in Christ. That's what the scriptures taught Timothy, and that's what Timothy embraced. And and what God has done is he's offered it to you and me, but the Bible also says the way we receive that gift of of, God His family entering into a relationship with him is not by being religious, but by placing our trust in Jesus, repenting our sin, turning from sin, turning away from everything that we think is going to make us uh, fit for God's family, turn away from our sin, turn away from even our good works, turning away from that and turning to Jesus to see, uh, see him as the only hope we have to be made fit for God's family. And the spirit of God awakens in us the faith we need to believe on Jesus to turn from sin, to trust in him, and we cry out to Jesus, oh God, forgive me my sin, bring me into your family based upon what Jesus has done for me, and the Spirit of God gives us a new heart in that moment, a new life. We become new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. We once were blind and we could not see, but when we enter into God's family through faith in Christ, he gives us sight to see ourselves and to see the world around us. We were blind, but now we see. We were dead in our sin and trespass, but God has made us, al- uh, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, we've been saved. This is what Scripture teaches, and it's the only way to get to God. There's none other. All right, so I can say, I told you I'd get a little preachery. How, how are you not? I mean, this is good stuff. So we enter into a relationship with God the way God says. And that's what, that's what 14 and 15 tell us. But then it goes further. Now, what Scripture teaches about salvation opens the door for us to understand what Scripture teaches to us. Here's something. that If you're not a follower of Jesus, the Bible is just a book. And it's a book you don't understand. And it's a book you can't understand until the Spirit of God opens your eyes to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. And then the Spirit of God opens your eyes as a follower of Christ, as a son or a daughter of God in the family that God has created. The Spirit of God opens your eyes to be able to understand Scripture. All right. So as we look at this passage The first thing, and this is talking about the character of the Bible. 
And, and when I say the Bible, I'm talking about Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. All the, all the books in between these two leather covers. If you do a, a Bible app on your phone, it's, um, it's Genesis, Revelation, last chapter, last verse in Revelation. First verse, first chapter in Genesis, last chapter, last verse in Revelation. All those words, all those words are God's words. God speaks to us through the Bible. God speaks to us through the Bible. All right? So, here's, here's what, uh, very first, all Scripture. Now, that's, that's everything in here. All Scripture, right? That's it. Everything in here. Every word, every phrase, every sentence, every paragraph, the ones we like and the ones we don't like, every word, all scripture is given us by inspiration from God. Inspiration, as I said, is a combination of two words, God and then breathed. Literally, God speaking. God speaking. So Genesis to Revelation is God speaking. And the scripture takes on the character of the one who speaks. Genesis to Revelation. Again, this is the stuff you like and the stuff you don't like. The parts in here that are acceptable to culture, and there are some things in here that are acceptable to culture, and the things that are unacceptable to culture. The things that make your uh, friend's blood boil because you, I can't believe that you believe that. How can you believe that? Well, I believe it because the Bible is God's words. This is the standard. The reason, the reason we believe that God's word is the rule for how we live and what we believe is because the Bible has been breathed out by God. He's the one who created it. And you might understand, well, didn't men write this? Yes. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Write that one down in the margin. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. You can do 19 through 21, but 21 is the one. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Listen to how Peter described it. He said, um, I'll begin verse 19. Uh, that's first Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Said, um, so we have the prophetic word confirmed. So he's talking about this prophetic word. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that no proclaiming prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit so that gives us insight so how do we get scripture we get scripture like this God breathes his words 
The Spirit of God moves the hearts and minds, the mouths and the pens of men who have been set apart by God, holy, set apart by God for this special function, to write down the words of God. And what we have from Genesis to Revelation, next week we'll look, about the, look at the reliability of it, but from Genesis to Revelation, we have words that God spoke by his spirit to men who wrote it down, and that's what we've got. Amen. God speaks through the Bible. It is the voice of the king with absolute authority to our lives. It is the voice of our beloved, the one whom we love. If you're a follower of Jesus, you love him above all things. The one whom we love, but also the one who loves us with a perfection that we can barely imagine. It is the voice of absolute truth. It is the single standard by which we must live. This is the word of God. And you might say, well, I just don't believe that. My prayer is that by the end of us walking through this together, that you will see it and you won't be able to help but believe it. Or you'll decide to rebel as a follower of Jesus, to rebel against the Bible, which is the words of God, And we'll talk about that in a second. All right, so. Ooh. All right, so what does the Bible do? So if this is what the Bible is, God breathed. God speaks through the Bible. Then what does it do? Well, the first, uh, the second thing I want to see about God's word, and this is, this is quick, and it's, uh, we'll, we'll rehash a lot of this over the next several weeks. What does God's word do? Well, the Bible uh, sets us on the right course. It, 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 it keeps us on the right path. All Scripture is given an inspiration of God and is profitable. This is what it does. is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. All those words mean this. Doctrine means it teaches us the will of God. That's the boundary in which we need to live within the will of God. You want to know what God wants? You got to go to his word. If you think you know what God's word, God wants, but you're not in God's word, my, my, my friend, the chances are you don't know what God wants. You know what you want. So we go to God's word and he teaches us doctrine. Doctrine is not the study of the end times. It might include that. Doctrine is not um, the, uh, uh, the intricacies of how Jesus is going to come back. And Although it, might, it includes that, doctrine is didaskalia. It's the content of God's will that we must follow. And that's found in God's word. Genesis to Revelation, the parts we like and the parts we don't like. So the Bible teaches us the right course. It then shows us where we're off course and teaches us how to get back on course. Uh, If I want to go to a place, I I have a little uh, uh, app on my phone, um, and I put in the address of the place I want to go, and a British lady begins to tell me, just me, a British lady begins to tell me how to get where I want to go. 
It's wonderful. It's marvelous. A British lady with that, you know, British voice says, you need to uh, start down this road and you need to, uh, in half a mile, you need to take a right. In 300 feet, you need to take a right. Take a right! And I take a right and then, you know, left, right, left, right. And I follow the instructions, the doctrine. If I follow the instructions, I get to where I need to go. But invariably, the British lady tells me to go left and I decide I'm going to go right. I get all squirrely in my attention span, and I'm going, oh, Starbucks, and go right. If, if I go right, what does the British lady say? Make a U-turn. Turn around. Stop. Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. It's a wonderful thing. If I get off course, the British lady tells me, hey, dude. You've missed it. But she doesn't stop there. This sweet British lady. She says, now, take a right, take a right, and take a right, and you'll be back on course. U-turn. At the next available opportunity, turn around. It's wonderful. Correction and reproof. Those two words are words that describe us when we get off course. <laughs> and they're words that help us know how to get back on course. Have you ever been in a relationship and you were the reason it got wrong? <laughs> We'll have a counseling session after this is over. Just you, you and me. All right. Because you and I are the only ones that would be able to take that. All right. You're in a relationship. You're the reason it goes wrong. You got to make it right. How do you do that? The Bible tells us how. The Bible shows us how to fix fractured relationships. The Bible tells us and teaches us how to get our finances back on course. Do you realize that? I know we've got financial advisors, and I'm down with that. We've got emotional and psychological counselors, and I'm down with that. But friends, please understand. We don't go to these advisors and these counselors to the exclusion of God's voice. The Bible keeps us on the right course. Even when we get off course, the Bible takes us back around to get back on course. You want to know how to get back on course? Can I just give you a quick one? Just, just quick. Whenever you're off course, and if you spend time, oh, here's the thing. Um, when I was way off course many times when I've gotten off course, and I, I do it all the time, terrible, and the British lady keeps pounding me, I get off course. Anytime I've gotten off course, if I want to stay off course, I just don't read the Bible. I think one of the reasons so many people in this room 
just don't read the Bible every day is because you're off course and you don't want to be told you're wrong. You say it a different way, and this is old preacher talk and preacher way back. Um, this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. I have a little knob in my car. If, if the British lady is bugging me and I just want to stay on the course that I want, I mute her. So I don't have to hear her anymore. And some of us have muted the word of God. We just don't open it. We don't listen to it. We don't read it. We don't let it sink any, any deeper than in our ears. Because we don't want to get back on course. But if you are ready to get back on course, Psalm 32, Psalm 51. Just read them this week. To get back on course as we is to make a U-turn, turn around. It's called repentance. To confess, this is how I'm off course. I'm going to repent. This is how I get back on course. You want to get back on course? Psalm 32, Psalm 51. Study it. So the Bible keeps us on the right course. And then finally, the Bible coaches us for everyday living. See, we believe that the Bible is the rule for how we live as well as what we believe. The Bible gives us the coaching we need for everyday living. Whether it's in our family, my wife does this with us, with me, and with, with our children. It, she goes through the lees. How are you emotionally? How are you physically? How are you financially? How are you um, spiritually? There are some other lees. But she goes through those lees, and, and it's a great way for us just to examine where we stand. And, and that's, that's awesome. But if you have spiritually gone astray, or if you are emotionally in the quagmire, if you're physically uh, just struggling, if you're relationally um, uh, on the rocks, if, if, wherever you are, can I humbly suggest that the Bible coaches us up so that we get back on track and so that we find satisfaction relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. Oh, you say, well, uh, then why do we need counselors? Well, we need counselors to help us dig into what the Bible says about us. Well, I love, I love uh, the counselors that we have as part of our church family, and, and I, I encourage you to go to them. I, I have been to counseling and will we'll go again. I think it's one of the greatest tools that God gives, but I don't do it at the expense of God's Word. Counselors help me understand a little bit more about me so that I can dig into God's word and hear God's voice speak more clearly. The Bible, uh, it, and next week we're going to look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, there's a passage there that says that God's word, scripture, the testimonies of the Lord are better counsel than anywhere else. I have a multitude of counselors 
because of what God's Word does. I think one of the reasons so many followers of Jesus are living such inept, faithless, powerless, weak, watered-down lives that have zero satisfaction. It's not because you're wicked people. It's just because you're not going to the right source to find the strength you need and the hope you need in life and the truth that you need to live by. You're doing your relationships by TikTok, and you wonder why they're out of whack. So today, here's how I want to stand, okay? So to challenge us, and, and we'll have more of these, but, but just to challenge us. First thing, what is it when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing you do? See, it, it, here's, here's the way it works. In, in my house, I, I sleep in my bed on my side of the bed. My side of the bed doesn't change. My side of the bed doesn't change. On my side of the bed, plugged in and charging, right next to me is my, my phone. And I wake up, whether it's at 4 o'clock like it was this morning or 8 o'clock like it was yesterday, I wake up, I pick up that phone very first thing. And then I can start scrolling. I'll scroll through social media. I'll scroll through my messages. I'll scroll through my email. I'll get online and look and see what people said that makes me mad so I can be mad all day. Pick up my phone and I'll scroll. I don't know the first thing you do, but can I give us all a challenge? Make the very first thing you do tomorrow morning and the next and the next and the next is to pick up God's Word. Now, some of you may be, uh, uh, it's not even old school, it's just uh, you can't read the Bible unless it's enclosed in leather. And, and that's okay. No, no judgment there. I mean, that's fine. But when I wake up in the morning, I'm picking up my phone, and the very first app that I punch, very first thing, this has been a practice that I've gone through over and over and over again. You don't have to read the Bible in, 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 in this form. The Bible is the Bible. And I, again, you may say, oh, I can't believe he said that. Uh, come on. Unless you want to go back and say, we got to read it in a scroll in the original language. <laughs> you, if you want to go there, uh, okay, be consistent. First thing I do, I pick up my phone, not a problem, and I punch the Bible app. One of the most distressing moments, it still grieves my heart. It grieves my heart today. I'd gotten, I don't know, thousands of consecutive days, thousands of consecutive days. There's like 4,000 consecutive days of in that Bible app because it's the first thing I do right? So you do 4,365 days. That's several years of, of consistent, right? First thing I punch, that Bible app. And last year sometime, COVID, 
No, I don't know what it was. Some, sometime last year, I missed a day. And it rebooted to one. Can I tell you, it still grieves my heart. It distresses me. I missed a day. So, make that. I mean, I'm not trying to put law on you. I'm just trying to help you. Make the first voice you hear in the morning the voice of God. And set the direction for the rest of your day. That's the first thing. And if you don't do the Bible app thing, make sure your Bible's by your bedside, not covered in dust, but covered in the tears that God brings to your heart and your eyes because you're spending time with him in his word. All right? So that's the first thing. Second thing. Children of Israel are going to the promised land. God gives them the law. And then he adds, if you will obey my voice, his word, if you will obey my word, then you will be blessed when you enter the land that I've given you as an inheritance. But if you disobey my word, then you will crash in the land that I give you as an inheritance. Jesus said it a little bit differently in Matthew chapter 7. He said, he taught all these sayings, and, and then he said, uh, in Matthew 7, he said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and when the terrors come, the house crashes. But whoever hears my word and obeys it, does it. He's like a, a wise person who builds his house on the rock. And when the terrors come, the house stands because it's built on a solid foundation. Today, friends, can I tell you the second application, and this will be next week and the week after and the week after. Second thing, if you're going to do anything with the word of God, it must be I will obey it. I will adjust what I think, what I say, what I feel. I will adjust everything to fit what God says from Genesis to Revelation. Because when I obey God's word, guess what the result is going to be as a follower of Jesus? Blessing, satisfied. Consumed with contentment, ready to fulfill, step into every good work God gives me. But if I reject God's word, if I ignore God's word, if I neglect God's word, if I disobey God's word, I'm going to crash. I'm going to crash. Some of you are living crashed lives right now as followers of Jesus. Can I humbly suggest it's time for a course correction and get back in line with the will of God revealed by the word of God to your life. Pray with me, please.
Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Now I pray that you would take your word and apply it to our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.